Arsenal put away their Europa League knockout tie with a first leg 3-0 victory. Think we can't find stuff to complain about? Think again. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. You're probably going to want to after this game because I think, I think we're just going to bitch about it. 3-0 away, kill off a tie, first leg in Europe, on to the next round, nothing to worry about, focus on the Carabao Cup final. Yeah, we can complain about that. Just watch us do it. Now, having said that, Neither Paul nor Tim have shown up to do it. So it's just me and Clive today. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I think the participation, the interest in participating in this podcast will only be rivaled by the interest in listening to this podcast, if uh, <laughs> if I guess. Um, but th- there are some interesting things to get to. And I think just the first thing that we should talk about overall, before we get into the granular stuff, is just, look, it, it wasn't a classic. The level of competition was not great. They looked overawed by us for the first 20 minutes, and they paid the price for that. But... Should we maybe at least pause to have some appreciation of the fact that we went, we did the job, we got it done, we killed off the timing? This is this is the competition that matters most to us. And at a time when we just lost the North London Derby, we've probably fallen out of the top four race in England. How important is it to come home from this feeling like we've steadied the ship a little? It's really important. I mean, from a competitive perspective, the game was not very competitive. They may as well have handed out bibs that we could train in. Do you know what I mean? Because it, was, it looked like a training session to me. But um, yeah, I suppose I, I'm still hurting from the North London derby. So if, if I'm sure there are many people listening to this that are still hurting from that game and still hurting from watching the Champions League games over the last couple of days this week and. I think that's all goes to create a funk over Arsenal, which is like we've we've sort of exited ourselves from a party that we were always in, and we just chucked ourselves out of the party. And um, it feels like we have to show a little bit of humility and grace and and suck it up and say, okay, we messed up. This is where we are. We're in Sweden, minus five, with snow all outside the ground on a on a plastic pitch playing in front of two men and their dogs it's not really where <laughs> Hell, we even, want even to tim be didn't, even tim didn't go to the game for fuck's sake yeah even even <laughs> tim i'm i'm, I'm quite, I started to question tim's commitment by the way he's only been Fair to about four thousand games in about the last two years but yeah. but yeah it's even tim said you know what that's not for me <laughs> <Right>? so, um, <laughs> which is really concerning right so um and i'll it'd be interesting to see the attendance at the home game next week <laughs> So, um, well, yeah, I mean, that, that talk about training session. But just really quickly, to be a little fair to Ostersunds, I mean, do you think the fact that they're out of season right now, that, that they are not in season, you can only get so much intensity from training. Do you think yeah. that can explain at least that first 20 minutes that they came out just not looking competitively ready? Yeah, they've, they've had some decent results when they were competitive. But I think I heard they've had one game since December, and that was like yeah. um, on Sunday. And so... You, you just can't do it. You, you can't get yourself to those levels. I think they try to get their game going and then they try to get their passing game going. But much like Arsenal, sometimes they're passing the wrong places at the pitch and they encouraged us on. And there was a difference in level, as we would expect. Right? We're multi-millionaires, our footballers, and these guys are working their way up through the levels. So it was nice, you know, it was nice to just get it out of the way. But... Um, yeah, I don't think there's many conclusions from the game, but I'm sure you'll find well, some points. We can I think the first conclusion we can come to is that the badge at least could use a little rework to make it Nacho Monreal FC. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. this guy just pops up with goals now. Are you are you sort of surprised that end product has become a big feature of his game this season? I mean, the irony is we were playing Oxlade Chamberlain at left wing back to start this season theoretically with the idea of, of adding some dynamism and explosiveness into our yeah. game. And here's Nacho Monreal leading the team in, in goal scoring. The credit to him is, is his approach to games. He just turns up to play football exactly the same as he did the week before, regardless of the surroundings, who he's playing against. He turns up and says, I'm ready to play. Are you ready to play with me? You know, I quite like him. I love watching other sports, right? And I always watch NBA and, and, and rugby. And I think you can learn a lot from watching other sports about 
your own sport that you really love and if you watch it closely you can see you can see similes and you know I call Monreal like our Russell Westbrook he turns up every night plays hard right and Westbrook's the same and it takes you know attitude and approach something you can control and he's obviously got ability but to apply that ability every single week at the same level of intensity every single training session four, five, six times a week and then turn up at football and do exactly the same thing again. That's what makes a professional footballer, and that's exactly what he is. And there's a lot of our players could take a lot of lessons from him. Yeah. The fact he's worked it out at 32 is a privilege to him. But right now, none of us would swap it, would we? None of us would. No, and I, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? I mean, he's keeping Kolasinac out of the side, and that, that's another debate for another day. I mean, I, I think it is interesting that in the game that had suddenly taken on such tremendous importance to us, Shaka and Kolasinac are on the bench for it, you know, and it really. What's your What's your, what's your view on Kolasinac? What do you think? What's going on there? Well, you tell me. I mean, it it is tough, right? I mean, I am not one to ever believe the idea that Arsene Wenger got forced to sign a player, had a player forced on him that he didn't want. I, I mean, even though there are some circumstances where you can definitely say maybe a player was more what he wanted than a certain other player that he might have gotten talked into a little bit. I just wonder if he hasn't brought the qualities to the team that, that they wanted. I mean, Shaka hasn't brought the qualities to the team in a lot of ways that they wanted, but he's been played by virtue of the fact that we were just so short in that area of the pitch. But yeah. the way Nacho Monreal has played, and the way, to some extent, Maitland-Niles played in there, made Kolasinac a little bit um, a little bit expendable. And, and not to mention the fact he, he had some niggles and injuries and stuff that had us stunted his development with the team. Now, I I think he still has a role to play, certainly, but it looks like that role is backup, and based on the wages that I'm sure we're paying him coming from a free transfer from the Bundesliga, you have to worry about whether or not you can have that kind of player being a squad player. I mean, what about you? I think it's a story there. I think it's a story there that we don't know. So you think it's a power struggle type signing? I just think it's a story. I just think I'd rather think it's injury, uh, but the longer... I see it. I just wonder what's happening there. I, I, I wanna, I wanna say it's injury. Hip injuries are hard to recover from. But you know, I'm just—he's just not featuring at the moment. He's not a—he's not an option. He's in, uh, we we rested. You know, he got a few minutes tonight, but I don't know. There's something happening there. I, I remember the early part of the season. I loved what I saw, like everybody did. We loved that physicality, that, that edge. Especially in the attacking half, though. I mean, I I think his biggest impact was made in the attacking half, but Clive, what really changed is his distribution dropped off dramatically. I mean, he had games where he was passing in the 50, 60 percentile. Yeah, I think it depends on his partner. I think he's very reliant on Alexis. I think the Alexis and him combination was very, very good. And I I watched a game in a pub tonight, and I was... Fair enough, I was talking a lot about... I'm going I'm to go into a long one here, mate, so be ready. I'll just move think, my microphone and go read the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that we all miss sometimes and when we're, when we're analysing games, right? So we all analyse players, we analyse systems, we judge players. We've all got our own story by which we judge players from, right? So, But it's one thing I think we forget, and all the best teams in our history, and the, the best teams to remember... There's one thing that they have, and that's chemistry, and that's fit. And when players play well, they normally fit with somebody else. There's normally a partnership. There's normally a balance to the team, which allows them to deliver on their best attributes. Right. So if you think back to the best Arsenal teams you can remember, your favourite Arsenal teams, there was good players in that team, but that's not the only thing. We've always had good players. What we saw in the previous teams that we all love and all remember and all name, there was a huge chemistry. There was huge relationships. There was a huge fit. There was huge defined roles. There was a balance. And what we have in this group is we have really talented footballers, but there is no chemistry. There is no, there's no more than one or two partnerships. There needs to be five or six or seven partnerships in a team to really make it flow, to really make it consistent, to really make it fearful. Yeah. And what we've and what we've done, what in our in our buying policy, and I I, I think there's a guy on um on Twitter we were just discussing this week, so I don't know I'm very 
when I do these podcasts, I'm very, very keen to be authentic, right, and not to take anyone else's point. There's a guy called Petit Ponytail that me and him were discussing, and he said something to me the other day. He goes to me, Clive, he goes, our, our transfer policy has been very reactive. And he, we, and he went through a few examples. And even Danny Welbeck, when we bought him, when did we buy him? We suffered an injury pre-season, and we had to have a striker because I think Giroud was out for two, three months. And we bought him. And he's done well. We a lot of people like him. He's a great guy, very popular. But he spent nearly two years out injured, you know. And it's just like that's where we are. And come the moment now, we, get, we buy two other centre forwards at a cost of ninety million pounds. One's ineligible and one's injured. And we're now looking at Danny Welbeck with a bad knee injury playing on a plastic pitch. And I'm looking at saying, is that really what Arsenal's about? Can't we be more strategic in how we buy and how we recruit? And I think we need to really look at this. And this is why we're failing as a group. We haven't got the chemistry. We have got the players, but we haven't thought about how they fit together. And I think we need to fix that, be brave, and say, you don't, you're a good player, mate. You are a really good player for somebody else. But for us, you don't work. But who's making that call, Elliot? Who's saying... Well, we know who's going to make that call going forward. It's going to be Sven Mislintat and Raul with the input of whoever the next manager is. But I I have to believe that Arsene has still been the primary voice in in providing that input. So a manager, a a recruitment guy can recruit. A contracts guy can do with the contracts. A head of football operations guy can develop the relationships with his black book. But the manager, the coach, has to be the one to knit it all together. And my worry is... Where Wenger's failing is not on, well, you could say on spotting talent. I think it's fitting talent together so they maximise themselves, so they improve. I think he has players in situations like Shaka, we can name we can name loads, I'm sure you could, that are really out there on the football pitch, but they're not best place to succeed and to do that there needs to be a system a balance a mm-hmm. partner a fit a chemistry to maximize people so if you think back to the favorite team just go back to what i call the the 2008 midfield right with um you know fabregas kleb riziki flamini with van Persie ahead of them that was a fit you had a playmaker you had a dog runner you had a dribbler you had a guy that could accelerate the play. They all were, could sprint into challenges apart from Fabregas. You had a finisher. You had an exclamation point. They were all a similar age. And it was a fit. It was a chemistry. right? So, And of course, the invincible side, we can all name that. And the, and the partnerships, relationships there. And I think he's lost that. He's lost the ability to knit a team together. And he's creating a huge debate amongst us as fans. Shaq is a great example of a good player that does not fit our team. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? No, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you hear it in Arsene Wenger's defense of his transfer strategy over the summers and, and Januarys too, where he says, you know, find me players who are better than the ones we have that, that we can buy. Um, yeah. But the question isn't whether we need to find players who are better than what we have, but better fit than what we have. Right? I mean, exactly. What, there are plenty of people that think Granite Shaka is a good player, and he may well be a good player. That is certainly open for debate, but he may well be. There is no question he is not a fit. And you talk about partnerships, and for a long time this was the issue. Giroud's a good player, but was he best fit with Alexis and Ozil? And uh, Shaka may be a good player, but does he really fit with the midfielders that we have around him? Santi Cazorla yeah. was the only player that could make uh, Francis Coughlin fit. Koscielny and, and Mustafi, both a little bit rash, a little bit front-footed. Maybe they don't fit together as central defenders. And you're absolutely right. Throughout the pitch, we see that issue of a fit. Now, you know, I, I think as we look at the team that played tonight, we did get a, a glimpse at something that we've talked about, so I think we should bring it up, and we'll come back to Danny yep. Welbeck, but Ainsley Maitland-Niles did get to play in central midfield. I actually thought, ironically, he started somewhat poorly, even though we started really well. I thought he picked it up. Uh, he came into the game well, but what you really saw, what was eye-catching for me, were some recovery runs he made that our other central midfielders just can't make, and that was refreshing to see. Yep. I don't think this was a 10 out of 10 performance from him, but the qualities that he showed, and some of it was that lackadaisical quality as well, and I don't think we can overlook that, where yeah. he sometimes let his man run by him and dropped his head and took a minute to recover. But 
overall, what was your sense of seeing him in the central midfield for really the first time in a, in a significant moment? It's, it's, it's a huge moment for him, right? So if you think you should put yourself in his boots, right? He's been at Arsenal since he was like, well, I don't know, nine, ten years of age. He's gone through all the different phases, you know, 10 to 12s. You go 14 to 16s. Then you, and then you get your scholarship and then you become a scholar. Then you become a pro. He goes out alone. He comes back. He's kept. He has a few injury issues, has a few issues with his mum. And basically... He gets into the first team squad. And then he starts to play in the first team. And he plays at left back primarily. Right? So and he does quite well. He ends up playing premiership games. And then all of a sudden you get this moment. You get this one chance to play in centre midfield, away in Sweden, minus five, on a plastic pitch. And he's thinking, Well, this is my moment. We've got a new recruitment guy coming. We're gonna get new players in. I have to show everybody. I can perform in this role. They can trust me. I want to be at least a minimal backup player in centre midfield. Now Coquelin's gone. And potentially I can help back up at right back. But I've got to show it. I've got to show it now. Sometimes it's not surprising that someone's a little bit nervous, a little bit inhibited at the start of games. Even the fact that we've seen him play in the first team before. I don't. I never sort of worry about that. I hope he gets more chances because we can all see... He can move, right? So Makes we just a nice fresh change. off the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We we just fresh off North London Derby where Spurs ran five kilometers more than we did as, as a collective. And to see a player there that once someone goes by him, he can just run back and take the ball off him as if it was like a, a piece of candy, is quite refreshing rather than seeing our players run back and the gap between them and the opposing attacker is just not reducing. I think, you know, we got to get much more two-way players in our team players that are happy in possession but also switch on out of possession and i was having a discussion just now thinking you know we've got players in midfield like shaka el nenny jack ramsey those four all great on the ball off the ball not so sure if you add Urzel and mikatarian to that that's six players Mkhitaryan we're just getting to know and, and strangely enough he seems to have a lot more off the ball than I originally thought but that's six key players that are central to our future potentially that are not very good when the opposition has the football and we've got to decide is that what we want to be how many of those six do we want to retain what roles they're going to play how are we going to develop our team going forward? How are we going to develop that fit and chemistry and identity while recognising that the game is far more potentially moving towards what you do when other people have the ball, how you create mistakes, how you minimise your chance for offensive football. It's much easier to coach when someone else has the ball than coach when you have the ball. I really respect Wenger for his on-the-ball coaching, but he's put that at a, at a priority over what we do off the ball. And I'm afraid off the ball, people are picking us off and, yeah. and beating us. Right? So. <laughs> and, and you even saw some of it tonight, by the way. I, mean, I, I think it is easy to dismiss this game, and especially when you go up 2-0 away as quickly as we did and on a cold night, and you said, you know, plastic pitch, There's there is yep. the opportunity to switch off. But the moment they put us under the slightest pressure, we really struggled with it. And it is a reason for concern because it is something that we've seen happen so much this season. I think Tim has talked a lot about it, which is that these smaller teams are starting to figure out that there's nothing to fear and that if they have a go at us, they can get some joy. And our Europa yep. League has actually gone this way, Clive, a lot. We've started games where we've dominated these intimidated smaller sides who, as the game wears on, come to realize that they can get at us and start to. And I thought that happened tonight, but it was too late for Ostersons. And so, yeah, I think Maitland-Niles did well. Look, the fact that he could dribble the ball, he did that, something Shaka doesn't do. And the fact that he had the recovery pace was great to see. Again, something that our central midfield doesn't really do. But I do think that there was a, a, a lackadaisical element to his play off the ball. I thought he let some people run by him at times. And he just has to stay switched on. And the problem is the more players you see come into the side and switch off off the ball the harder it is to think it's the players and the more you have to think it's about the way they're drilled and the way they're prepared. 
Uh, I don't know how you can see so many players be so switched off when they don't have the ball and believe that it's down to the individuals at that point. Now, yeah, uh, sorry, no, go, go ahead, ahead, please. Yeah, no, that's it. I was going to say, well, it's down to the culture, right? So when you when you train and you train for Arsenal, and um, I've seen Arsenal train, and the quality of the training is just unbelievable. You know, I watched Kieran Gibbs train once, and we used to moan about him and his touch and his decision making. I saw him play a short space passing drill, and I'm thinking, oh my god. You are unbelievable, you know. And the, everything we do is all about what we do on the ball, quick decisions, pictures, moving it, one touch, head up, never bend your back, and that's what we do. That's what we're judged on. So when you watch Arsenal, I, I, I sometimes I think we're we're thick on the ball. I think our decision making is not great, but you can see an Arsenal player has a smoothness how they receive it, how they move it. There's a there's a there's something about an Arsenal footballer when we have the football. But we have to think about the other side, right? And and I think Benga has obviously created an environment where that's not an emphasis. That's not a punishment. That's not an accountability. And so we're lucky that Maitland Niles can run 100 metres in eight seconds and he can catch up with his mistakes. But really, we should be saying to him, that's not quite right. We need to work on that. You need to stay alert. You need to spin your head. You have the two-second rule. Don't stare at the ball for more than two seconds. If you're staring at the ball for more than two seconds, that means you're missing something. So you develop a picture. Develop a defensive picture. Don't rely on your speed like you have done as a youth because you can just catch up every kid who's 17 out there because you're playing against men and they will smash it into your net. So be aware. We want you to be a defensive player and we have to coach you in such a way. And I just think that's where we're missing out on, Elliot. Mm-hmm. I just don't think we're holding people to account. This is not to criticise the player, because the player's learning well, in front of our eyes. Well, right? well, but, think about it this way, Clive. Just to cut across you for a minute to keep this yeah, pot but, on brand. I, look, think about it. When, when a teacher or a boss or someone at work criticises you repeatedly for something or calls out a mistake you make, those are the mistakes that stick. Those are the things you try to correct. The, yeah. If you make mistakes that don't get caught, that don't get identified, a lot of times you won't correct them because you may not even know to correct them or identify them. And look after the North London Derby. What was the thing the manager was most upset about? It wasn't, we lost sight of our runners, we lost track of players in our own box, we, we were too uh, unprepared every time they took a quick restart, they were able to, to yeah. beat us. No, what did he specifically call out? He said, we had chances to break, and at this level... You cannot miss those opportunities. Arsene Wenger focused on the way our counterattacks, the way our final ball came up short. Fair enough. There were cases of that. But that's the culture at the club. You know, the culture at the club is you have to play a better final ball. You have to find the player running into space. You have to finish your chances. When I certainly think he could have just as easily have focused on the defensive and off-the-ball deficiencies in that game, but he chose not to make that the, the teachable moment. So, And who knows what he does behind closed doors. Look... I think there's a lot of uh, overarching issues point. that we've touched on. Great point. Well, you know, it just you you take your cues from what your boss says to you and and to the public. And I realize sometimes the things he says in public are not consistent with what he's saying behind closed doors. But he was pretty exercised about it. He was pretty upset about that final ball issue in the North London Derby. And by the way, I thought it was a problem in this game. I thought we had a lot of counterattacking chances that we did yep. not execute effectively. Mkhitaryan guilty at some points again. He seems to have a little sloppiness in his game that I didn't expect him to have. Now, some of that may be that he just hasn't been playing a lot of football for United, and so he's getting himself into form. But a lot of it is Danny Welbeck. He had some pretty unfortunate yeah. moments, some selfish moments, which maybe is him trying too hard to impress, where he could have made the easy pass and set someone up. A lot of his runs were going from central areas into wide areas, but his body shape meant that he was closed off when he received it, so he couldn't give it back. Overall, I thought, you know, injury form aside and the pitch aside and the weather aside, this was consistent with what we've seen from Welbeck. And so my question to you is really a two-parter. One, what do you think of what you saw from Welbeck? And two, where does this leave us for this competition? If if Lacazette were to miss the round of 16, which, you know, depending on the prognosis for his recovery, he's right around missing one or both legs of the round of 16. So what did you make of Welbeck, and where would you go with this center forward position for the next round? Well, he's our option. Um, Wenger has 
I've picked him up this week and said I prefer him there. And he played very well in the cup final. There was a there was a system. There was a pattern. He moved he had, people but he around. Had a goal score. You know, I'll cut across you again because why not? Let's just keep doing that. Yeah, go just for the it. Two of us. It. I still can't give you room to talk. <laughs> Look, my point is, Welbeck's running and energy and physicality and aerial dominance. You know, ability to win the duels. That's great if someone else can take on the the responsibility for goal scoring. So, like an Alexis, you know, Welbeck makes the deepest run pushes the defense back, and Alexis runs into the space he leaves behind. Okay, yeah. that's workable. But when Alexis is not there, and the person who has to score the goals, who has to take the responsibility for the end product, I realize that wasn't the case tonight, but you would think against better opposition, is yeah. Welbeck. That's a totally different proposition. So we're back to what I said before. We're back to fit. In the cup final, we had an 11 that fitted. We had a strategy. We had a plan. We pushed them back. And we had a goal scorer behind a guy that was used as a battering ram to physically move people around. What's changed? We all know that Danny Welbeck, sorry, mate, no longer are you just going to run around and, and, and try to be a player that creates an intangible moment that can create a difference out of nothing. You can score out of nothing. We're actually expecting you to be our centre forward and our main man to score a goal. And that's a completely different expectation and responsibility. right? And none of us, well, we're all nervous about it because we all know that he has many talents and abilities but sure-footedness in the penalty area when it comes to decision-making and shooting and scoring maybe isn't his number one strength. So we're all a little bit nervous about what comes ahead. And Feels like a big miss in a striker. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like him. And he's a forward player. That's what he is. He's a forward. At the highest level, for me, he's, uh, he's one of a front three that's not got a fixed position or responsibility. He absolutely That's needs all to have of our a scorer players, with Clive. him. <laughs> they yeah, all, and, Ozil, uh, it, they're all go-where-you-want players. They all go-where-you-like players. And, we, and I'm, we've, Sometimes you, you get a chance to watch other teams, and I, and I think you can learn a lot about yourself when you watch others. And You know, I, I watched Liverpool this week, and there's just defined roles. They've got a, a false nine that works very hard. He's the first defender. He's the guy that sets the trigger in Firmino. He's the one that sets the defensive trigger. They have two lazy wide forwards that don't work hard. They have a midfield three that work very hard to allow their goal scorers not to work hard. So they work hard going forward. And they cause problems and they've got they're rested, they've got energy. Their back four's not great. So they they put a seventy five million pound player in the middle of the back four to try to reduce the drama back there. The goalkeeper throws them in. They're not a complete article, but we can see where they're going. We can see what they're developing. When Nabi Kata comes in, we can more or less picture where he's gonna play, what he's gonna do. With Arsenal at the moment, we're not there yet. We haven't got that fit. We haven't got that system. We haven't got that player profile. What makes an Arsenal player? We've lost it because we're reactive when we buy. And, but we're, I, I don't want to be too doom-laden. I do feel we're starting to think about this right now. But I'm afraid there's an issue, Elliot. There's an issue with our manager. He's the person that decides how things fit together. Other people will buy. Other people will recruit. But he'll be the one that fits them. And, I, and I'm, I don't trust him anymore. I don't trust him to put the right players. And when I saw that team name tonight, and I looked at the names on, on that team sheet, and now we've got a few people out. It just didn't inspire me, that team. It just didn't inspire me. It just looked like, okay, we're relying on Welbeck. The back four's okay. We've got a guy in Callum Chambers playing centre-half that Fulham were trying to take on loan in the break. That tells you his level. Right, and um, we got Mustafi. Well, and, no and one he was trusts the him. He was the be- he was the better of the two center backs. He on was the, the night. better of the two. <laughs> Mustafi, we don't trust him. Um, Bellerin plays every minute of every game, and and, uh, and uh, surely at some point someone's going to let him have a bit of a, a rest. Um, 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 you know, we just look at this team, and I'm just thinking, okay, is this where is this going? Is it inspiring me? Well, what's scary is what. what's the better... I think this is really where we're at. Is you, If I said to you, it's the round of 16 now, and you have to pick an 11 for the first leg of the round of 16, and Lacazette's not available. Other than yeah. Koscielny, is there a better group that you can... I mean, 
the scary thing is it's not this isn't like it was a heavily rotated side. I mean, there's not a lot of options there that are going to make this a better team. Yeah, there, there isn't. But would you would you go with Welbeck? I mean, look, you're the manager. It's the day of the game. Um, mm-hmm. It it's round of sixteen. It's some you know. Let's say it's someone decent. It's a it's a a Nice or an Atalanta or a, you know not a Dortmund, not one of the really big sides, but like yeah. a, a a good team that you have to respect. And it's a way. Are you just going to stick with this group? We may have to. You know, obviously Ramsey and Wilshire can come back into this, and they bring a lot of personality to Arsenal. I think, if anything, the team lacked personality today. We saw some names on the pitch, but we didn't see those players that that bring something that brings more than just play. They bring themselves and they influence. You know, I speak. I came in tonight. I spoke to my son. He said, "What do you think about Welbeck?" He said, "Yeah, he's all he's all right, but he doesn't impose himself on the game, Dad." I thought that's that's brilliant, right? And we've got so many players that play for Arsenal, but not willing to impose themselves on Arsenal. And this is why I like, you know, I have issues with Ramsey's style, but you know what I like about him? He says, "You know what? I don't care. I'm going to impose myself on this team. I'm going to make have an influence on this team." I'm going to make sure you don't forget me. I don't personally always like his style of centre midfield play, but I watch him and I can't take my eyes off him. Same for Jack Wilshire. He's got a personality. He does things. He says, give me that ball. I'm, I'm taking this over. I'm going to do what I can do. And there's so many of our players which are, are faceless. And by the way, we're having an adults conversation here. I am not crying myself to sleep tonight after a 3-0 win. I'm just projecting forward and where we need to go and how we need to improve and how we need to get back into the top four, right? So you can contextualize this conversation based on, I, I watched Juventus v Spurs in the week and I'm thinking, I don't like watching that. I don't want to watch that and then watch us play the dog and duck on the Thursday night. That's not for me, right? So how are we going to get back? What do you need to do? How do you need to create new chemistry? Who is prepared to not just play for Arsenal, but do something and influence for Arsenal? And I think we need to really look at these games are important to work out who those players are. And the ones that don't do it need to go, and then we need to replace them. It's as simple as that. Yeah. That, I totally agree with that. Look, I, I do. You made a comment in there too that I think is important. We did win three nil away in Europe to end the tie. Uh, we were yeah. up two nil early. They looked really poor. We did look like we kind of went to sleep after that. It's hard to draw conclusions, as you've said, on a plastic Absolutely. pitch below freezing temperatures. So this is all a bit of a tricky one to analyze because, again, I think there were a lot of worrying signs in this game in the sense that the guy who has to be our striker for the foreseeable future in this competition. Played terribly, was you know arguably one of our worst performers. At the back, we still looked shaky. Mustafi was diving in and giving away potential penalties, and Chambers was giving the ball to the opposition, and under pressure, we gave the ball away. And so there's just enough to be worried about to kind of lose sight of the fact that it was a 3-0 victory, and that, while yeah. being a specialty of mine, is not something we should lose sight of. Let's do this. Let's no. bring... Uh, Scott, in to give us some perspective statistically on why this was, in fact, an instant classic. And when we come back, uh, we can talk a little bit maybe about the defense, talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up, and then we can uh, hopefully just stop recording because really why we're even doing this in the first place is a question. So we'll talk to Scott and come back. not have been an instant classic, but they're all sexy on a spreadsheet. That's why we've got Scott here, and he's going to tell us all the data, all the statistics that will make you rethink what your eyes told you about Arsenal 3, Ostersund's nil. Uh, Scott can be found on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his fine work on crabstats.blogspot.com, theshortfuse.com. I could go on and on with his resume. We won't do that. We'll just introduce him. Hello, Scott. Hello, how are you doing? Great. I am excited to hear all the fascinating statistical analysis of this match because my eyes said to me that maybe I was watching 
um, something that wasn't enter- entertaining. But maybe the spreadsheet has a different perspective. So first things first, in terms of the overall team performance, how did we do on the old X geometer? Um, so I had an arsenal with a 2.21 overall for this one. Um, and, you know, if you watched the game, you saw that Arsenal really dominated that first uh, opening period. And, you know, the vast majority of that, 1.75 of that came in that opening 15 minutes. So in that remaining, you know, 90% of the match, Arsenal, you know, produced a one XG, did score two goals, you know, one own goal. But, yeah, so after that initial burst, it was all downhill from there. So what, what was the final number again? Uh, 2.21. 2.212 with you know 80% of that coming from the the penalty, the penalty. that big David Ospina saved. So is is that a 0.6 in your model? Uh point it's a 0.73 about oh, there. Okay, wow. All right. So yeah, I mean so they yeah, they still produced almost half a goal on XG, but yeah, it's it's that's a paddling and uh, you know, ultimately they made it very easy for us early on. We didn't have to do a lot. They just kept giving us the ball uh, in the danger area in the final third and we made them pay for it. But in terms of building up the play from the back, they when they did get organized, they seemed to do a pretty good job, and they also seemed to put us under a little pressure with their press. So let, let's look at a couple of players that I think it's interesting to examine in this game because of the possible desire to see them play there more or just curiosity about what they're providing. And the first of those is uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. He did get the chance to start in central midfield, something that a lot of people, myself included, have been clamoring for. Uh, Granite Shaka was left on the bench. And... You know, at first, I thought it was kind of an uneven performance from him. He had some players run past him at times and things like that, but I'm curious how he looks uh, on the spreadsheet. Yeah, so passing-wise, um, to me, he looked very tidy. He didn't really try a lot of um, hard passes, per se, but he kept it simple. Um, he completed 78 of his 83 passes, so that's you know shows that he was you know completing them at a high rate, 94%. Um, so that's definitely good. Um, he was very good in his own half, nine of nine, and forty-five of forty-six in the middle third. So to me, it looked like he was, you know, probably given instructions to keep it safe, keep it circulating, and let the uh, players in front of him do the creative work. And I think that he did a pretty good job at that. We've seen him be able to dribble when he's playing a left back, left wing back. He did some of that. Uh, did he attempt any dribbles in this match? Yeah, he was two of three, um, so I believe that's actually tied with Arsenal, or his lead. Uh, there was a, a couple players with also two take-ons. Certainly something that Chaka doesn't provide in that in that zone. Yeah, and the other thing that I did notice is that he did use his speed to recover well a couple times when um, he needed to um, get back defensively. He was three of five in tackles um, with an interception, so um, he did seem... He may not have always been in the best situation, um, but he did um, have the speed to be able to recover if he yeah. wasn't. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that we haven't seen at all, whether it's Jack or Shaka or really whoever it is. Um, he, we've not had the player who can chase back and cover the ground the way he can. So that's good to see, I guess. Yeah, to me, it was actually kind of nice to have two um, central midfielders that were, were fairly mobile. So, yeah, because Elneny, you know, he may not have the, the fastest speed, but he is constantly moving. And, you know, nice to have two mobile guys in the middle of the park. I mean, we almost, in the first... I guess 20 minutes completed 200 or so passes. So I, I, the question I guess I have is where was the volume coming from? I mean, who were the most active passers for us in general? Um, the, the, it was all in the middle of the field um, for the most part. So we had um, quite a few players that get close to um, 100 passes. Wow. Let's, let's pull up the full passing stats here. Yeah, because, I mean, one thing we haven't been able to do of late is control games in midfield. Now, part of that is because teams in the Premier League don't really let us do that, and Ostersunds, especially early on, were sitting very deep and looked very intimidated. So they gave us a lot of room to play in that area of the pitch. But exactly, yeah, so, so who yeah, took had, advantage of that? Yeah, yeah. so Elneny was 94 of 97. Chambers was 87 of 91. Mesut Ozil, 79 of 88. Uh, Niles, uh, 78 of 83. Mustafi, 73 of 78. Awobi, 70 of 78. So, I mean, yeah, there, there was basically lots of players that were getting lots of passes and they were completing them at a high rate. Yeah, shared around. Okay, well, as far as Mkhitaryan goes, this is a player that I think we're all hoping will fit our style in a way that some people don't believe Alexis did. And obviously, against Everton, that looked great. Against Spurs, not so much. This is our third chance to see him play for the team. A very, very weird game to try to evaluate because of the opposition and the way the game went. But how did he look to perform statistically? Um, well, this one was actually probably pretty close to what you know uh, you'd see from a 
Sanchez performance. So he had six shots leading Arsenal, uh, put three of them on target, and one of those was a, a big chance created by Mesut Ozil on uh, one of the Ostersons, um, uh you know, early turnovers that Arsenal did when they pressed early. He also created three chances. Um, he had one assist and one own goal. And I got uh, confirmation um, from Orbino, who works for Opta, that an own goal does not count as an assist, and it actually counts as an incomplete pass. So that's a little bit unfortunate, and one of those ones that's yeah. like, kind of screwy to classify. Well, because also, I mean, if, he, if it doesn't get turned in as an own goal, it falls to the feet of Danny Welbeck, and from there it becomes uh, a shot in a rosy. So still not an assist. But yeah, in any it, event. Unless it, unless it comes off of his knee or his hip but, or something you know, crazy. Exactly, yeah. of course. So, I mean, because the thing that surprised me, though, is he looked a little sloppier than I expected. You know, you, I think with Alexis there was frustration that he gave the ball away too much. Did Mkhitaryan maybe lose the ball more than you'd expect in this game? Um, you know, let me let me check his, his stats here. I didn't I didn't notice him um, turning the ball over very often, but um, maybe it wasn't turning it over so much as just a little sloppy with passes and touches that didn't result in losing the ball, but maybe resulted in an opportunity going begging. And I, the thing you always have to remember is on the plastic pitch and in uh, sub freezing temperatures, sometimes your body doesn't react and the ball doesn't react the way you expect it to, and that seemed to catch a few of our players out at, at various stages. Yeah, so it looks like he, um, you, you know, he missed eleven passes. So he was, uh, you know, seventy or eighty-two uh, percent passing, and then he was dispossessed um, three times. Uh, one of those was on uh, a dribble that didn't get completed. So I guess you know he turned it over uh, fourteen times. So not a, not a horrible day. Um, but, you know, I think that's one of the things that's going to happen um, with your creative players. And, you know, you just have to take that um, in stride. Especially if they're attempting more challenging passes in the final third. I thought exactly. That the, the, the challenge, too, is you look at score effects a lot. I mean, do you see the score effects impact on the data here in terms of when we went up 2-0? It looked like Ostersund's kind of decided they were going to press a little more, get it in our half a little more. We also looked like we felt we had won the tie at that point and, and maybe switched off. Is there anything that suggests to you that when we took the two-goal lead, those score effects might have kicked in? Um, I, you definitely could because part of it you could see is that um, Arsenal basically stopped shooting after that 2-0 um, lead was established. Um, you know, They added a, a little bit more later, but they seemed to not have the same hunger to go for goal you know, some of those, you know, the bigger teams, which Arsenal try to consider themselves, when they get a, an early lead, they lead like that, they think of a, a chance to, um, you know, really run up the score. But Arsenal seemed very content to, you know, take the 2-0 lead and, you know, go to the Emirates and, you know, just make sure to take care of business there. Well, so, yeah, I think there was some big score effects here that Arsenal kind of um, didn't really push for anymore after the first, second goal went in. Got to stay fresh for the non-match that we don't have this weekend. So, all right, well, that's all well and good. I think we should finish out with a player who I think you could say on a night when we won 3-0 away in Europe would still not be feeling great about his performance, and that's Danny Welbeck. If this was his audition for the center forward role in Lacazette's absence, I certainly wouldn't say he did anything to secure the part. Did he have a poor game statistically, or is it more the eye test in this case? I, I think both. Um, so, I mean, the, the eye test definitely didn't impress me. There was a lot of times where he would make, you know, good runs, but it would go from the middle to the outside where he would receive the ball and not have a chance to, to look at goal. And his only other option was to turn towards the sideline and then the recycle play. Um, on the day, he only he had three attempts, wasn't able to get any on target. Um, he did pass, you know, fairly well, 23 of 25. Um, he didn't create. He created three chances, which is pretty nice. But none of those were into great shots. Um, you know, he completed one dribble, was offside in one situation. It's you know, it's not the the greatest day. It's not for your center touch. forward against a, a weak team when you win three nil, and at one point you have eighty two percent possession. For your center forward to, to put up that kind of day is not what he would be looking for. And this this might be damning with faint praise here, but his defensive numbers were actually quite impressive. You know, two of four tackles, one clearance, and, you know, one of one in his, his um, aerial duels. So he, he at least has that going for him. Good for him. Um, so when you look at something like PPVA or XG Chain, I don't know if you have that calculated at this point because I know it's just after the match that we're recording this. Is that something you can look at that might say, well, he linked up well building towards what we were ultimately trying to get on the end of or nothing spectacular there? Yeah, I do have the the XG um, or the the PPVA up here. So let me give him one second to switch over to that. 
So we got looking for Danny Welbeck. Yeah. So so was so was a lot of so were a lot of our supporters. But yeah, I, I had a joke there. It didn't come off. Just keep going. It, like a Danny Welbeck shot. There, that perfect. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you, you bumbled it into me so I, I could finish it. Yeah, that perfect Danny Welbeck joke. All right, fire away. <laughs> All right, so his passing value added in this game was .07, so that's definitely on the, the lower side. Um, Arsenal had several players that uh, were over .4 in the match, um, so Danny Welbeck wasn't one of those. Um, you know, just to, to point out, uh, Mesut Ozil, uh, like normal, uh, led the team with a, a point six, uh, followed by Alex Awobi with point five five, who I think you know quietly had a pretty solid game. Yeah, I thought he had a good um, game. Connecting well. um, the midfield to the final third, he made himself available quite often. Uh, Mikatarian um, put up a point three nine five, so I would round that up to a point four. Uh, Mohamed El Neni was you know tidy and everything as well um, in center in center midfield with a point four six. So uh, when you have you know that much of the ball and we're able to to complete that many passes, you're going to run up big numbers. Um, so I'll have to look when I um, do the per 90 or per 50 uh, well, touches. Per, yeah, per 50 passes to, to see how some of these are affected. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was a it was a fine match. And, you know, they're in a good spot for the, the return leg. And hopefully they can rest some players for the, the League Cup final against Manchester City. In a weird and disappointing season and a strange place to be playing in not perfect conditions. The only statistic that really matters is 3-0 to the Arsenal. So I suppose we can leave it there. Um, we will not have a podcast after the match we don't have this weekend but presumably we'll have one after we go through the next round so scott enjoy your weekend off don't stare at too many spreadsheets and we'll talk to you after the second leg awesome thank you yeah you bet scott's on twitter at o underscore that underscore crab and uh you can find his fine work at crabstats.blogspot.com in the short fuse we will talk to scott in the future but now let's go back to clive and hear more about what makes this arsenal performance so special Made in the coldest winter Goodbye, my friend Will I ever love again? Memories made in the coldest winter 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 Okay, we're back. That clears up everything you wanted to know about the uh, spreadsheet view of this game. I think it was a much sexier game on the spreadsheet, to be fair. But uh, that's, you know, not always where the games are played. Sometimes they're actually played on plastic pitches. So, Clive, we're back. Let's talk a little bit about the Mustafi Chambers pairing. I think it is an interesting situation we're developing because, look... Koscielny is not going to be able to play every single game. We know the state of his Achilles, and he has to be rested and rotated out from time to time. So, first of all, can you potentially make an argument that Chambers shouldn't be ahead of holding, that that Mustafi shouldn't be ahead of holding? What do you make of the, the way these two played tonight? Uh, what, what did you expect, right? So Calamity? <laughs> yeah, what did you expect? Well, um, Mustafi has, he has great games. So he's a sort of guy that sometimes he starts slow. If you watch him in games, he starts slowly. It's like he needs a kick to get him going or a mistake. And once he's done that, then he gets started and he engages and he's and he can have some spectacular games. But his bad games are really bad. And I think he's just a bit stupid at times, right? So he's a player to me that's not the player type that we needed, right? So... He's not tall enough. He's five foot ten, and he's not fast enough. No, no BS, right? That's the truth. He's five foot ten, and he he can play on the ball. He he can be outrun. He can be outjumped. If you got designs of being a top six team in Europe, that's not good enough. Yeah, right? yeah Raphael Varane is what you need, <laughs> not really? or a player that looks like that, yeah. right? So, um, so we fit to Callum Chambers. Should I just say ditto? 
Well, he's Chambers, not very fast. Though, the, the, the thing with Chambers, though, is you would say Mustafi supposedly makes up for it by being an excellent on-the-ball player. Now, we could debate that. Chambers can't keep the ball. I mean, he, he just looks so nervous on the ball. Yeah, maybe. And, and that may be because he hasn't played. So we, we shouldn't judge too much because I've seen him play and some of his passing is really outstanding. And so I know he can do that. But what I know he can't do, and I did, I, the moment I the, the, the light went out for me was when um, Jay Rodriguez, West Brom away, took five yards out of him on a sprint. And I thought, Jay Rodriguez had two crucial operations in the last couple of years. He just out-sprinted you. If you want to play for Arsenal, that can't happen. And that's it. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it's not a good look. It. And sometimes you just got to open your eyes and say, what have I just seen? Do I accept that or do I not? Can that be fixed or not? The passing piece, he can do it. I've seen it. Right? Once you see something, you know it can be repeated. When you see something like that, that's an issue. And someone's not going to find five yards of, sp of speed. Someone's not going to give you that security that we are seeing at the top level in Champions League this week from the centre-backs. The best centre-backs, they can all run, they can all move. Did you watch Marquinhos this week? His speed, I know he got a couple of deflections late on, but the way he ran down Ronaldo, that's what you need. If you're going to be if you're going to be six foot or five foot ten, you better be able to run, right? Um, Barcelona won the Champions League with a centre-back who was basically a midfielder that could run, right? And he could sprint, he could sprint into the tackles. Um, it's all about your ability to move, win duels, be robust in tackles. If, you, if you're if you not going to... Well, I, I feel we're small physically. Tottenham showed that we could be bullied on set pieces. They beat us in the air. I felt threatened when the ball was in the air. That means we're not dominant enough. You know, Our best defenders, Koscielny, as you highlighted, he cannot do it every four or five days. He struggles to have repeat games. And we're starting to see a drop-off in, in attitude and ability to Im impose himself. We need to nurture him. We need to look after him. But really, what we all know we need, we need two new centre-halves in the summer because the ones we have have massive failings that I don't think can be resolved. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, is is Mertesacker – maybe I'm missing something. Was he announced as having an injury? But it seems to me that the manager has finally decided that he's got to call time on using him. Yeah, he's having a pension year, right? So he's had an extended year. Great person, great around the club. He should retire, but he's on the footballer's wages. So we're paying the footballer's wages for the last year of his contract. And I'm sure he'll go on and do a fantastic job in the academy. They're meant to bring in the guy from Reading – their academy, which is a very good academy. I know that for certain, because I know that academy. And um, I'm sure he'll run the academy, and Mertesacker will be like a lead person, a figurehead, somebody that people can take examples from. I think that's a combination. That's a very smart move, and I, and I look forward to it. Yeah, well, it's, it's just clear why we were chasing someone like Johnny Evans, though, then, because the season now comes down to Koscielny and Mustafi, which doesn't even inspire that much confidence. And beyond that, yeah. it's it's choose your poison. It's Nacho Monreal being moved to center back or Chambers are holding or I guess Kolasinac or playing a back three to try to hide one of these guys. The state of that center back pairing right now is really, really worrying. So, you know, fortunately yeah, for us, we don't have to worry too much about the league because we've already fucked it up so badly that it doesn't matter anymore. So it really is a question of can we get through the Europa League with it. I shudder to think a little bit about what it might be like facing City. Let's come on to a little bit of the looking ahead. Uh, I, I think as far as the rest of this game, I mean, Enkedia got on. He didn't have a chance to do a whole lot. Same with Reese Nelson. I thought we got through the game the best you could ask for. So there's not a whole lot else. The one thing with Mustafi, I... You know, it was early in the game. I don't know if you remember this moment, but they kicked long uh, down our right flank, their left flank attacking, and Mustafi was in a in a run with their attacker. And yeah. they're running down the end line. He decides to dive in, and we actually wound up with a throw-in, I think. Uh, yeah. We got the throw-in. But it was one of those things where, like, if he mistimes that even a little bit, it's either a terrible foul and a red card or the guy pushes the ball past him and he's in on goal. And it's one of those situations where I'm thinking – Here's a player way down the ladder, okay? Way down the footballing ladder. And yeah. he's not a burner. He doesn't have that much pace. And you've got the end line, you know, the, the touch line is your friend. 
He's up against the touch line. He's not going to have Neymar's touch. Run with him a little bit. Shoulder him off the ball. Body him. You know, trust yourself. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt in this duel. And he didn't. And his his instinct was to just go flying in. And that that's Mustafi for me. I, he does not back himself to win any situation one-on-one defending unless he goes to ground. And that, that worries me. And he should have given away a penalty for the same reason. Yeah. I know Bellerin wound up giving up a penalty stupidly. Oh, well, there's a final moment. I mean, would you say the best thing about this game is we saved a penalty for the first time since... Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? I I was shocked. I was shocked. And and, uh, it was nice to not concede, right? And um, yeah, look, we did did the job. We're not not judging these players based on tonight's game because tonight's game was was a job for them. And um, they've done the job. Yeah, training. Yeah, Mustafi, what what is he? He's he's a a guy that used to play fullback that lost his speed, uh, retained his aggression, moved himself into the centre of the pitch, wasn't quite big enough to be a, a true centre-half, wasn't quite dexterity enough to play as a holding midfielder like he did at Sampdoria. So what he's done, he's added aggression to his game to hold that centre spot. I actually think he would make a... I like him in the back three. I, I really do like him in the back three. I think that's that's where he's maximised. But really, I think he's, he's somebody that feels almost like a, a small man syndrome. I have to lay whatever I have onto you to let you know I'm here. And I think he just lacks a little bit of thought process and intelligence. But he is what he is. I, I wonder what we were thinking when we scouted him. Because he does this in every single YouTube video. Everything is a slide tackle. Everything's a, an explosion moment in a duel. None of it says, I'm thinking what I'm doing. It's quite spectacular. But what you don't see is all the ones that he misses in the YouTube video, right? So, yeah, right, um, exactly. That's a great. Um, that's a great point. Yeah, no one does a well. They should do a YouTube compilation of all the ones he misses. There's plenty of yeah. good content there. Exactly, and then and we and now we watch him every week. We're starting to see that. Mm-hmm. Do he's one of the players that we need to be mindful of, right? We need to really hope he gets through because he he's in that mid twenties range. We spent thirty plus million on him. That needs to work. That really needs to work. And I'm loath to criticize him, even though I do on occasion, because he needs to succeed, you know, for the future of the club. Or we need to find a way to offload. And the market is very, very small. You can't offload to Spain. They can't afford. You can't offload to France. They can't afford. Germany are quite smart. They won't pay the money. So when you buy someone at 35, you're looking at 20 to get back. Or you have to get used to the fact that we'll be sending people to other English clubs. And the rotation we saw between Giroud and Walcott in, in January, I think it's going to become a lot more commonplace because the market out there has completely reduced. So um, let's see where he ends up. If he stays with us, or we could see him play for Everton again. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I think it's one of those, keep an eye on it, but for right now we're stuck with it. And so, look, the, the next leg is pretty much just an exercise again because this is over they're not going to overhaul a 3-0 deficit away so would you play a a relatively strong side is there any reason to play a relatively strong side we have the Carabao Cup final that weekend would you go with 11 changes and just try to do you know do the best job you can getting through it yeah it depends I think he will he wouldn't want to see an embarrassment I could see maybe two or three more youngsters coming in from the start I mean, why, you know, why play certain players? Players like Reese Nelson, I think, deserves a chance. Inketia deserves a chance. I wouldn't like to see Ozil be playing and Mkhitaryan playing against this side on a Thursday when we've got City on a Sunday. It doesn't make sense, right? And the, the gap's not too long. They won't lose too much sharpness, or maybe they have a few minutes off the bench. We don't know. I just think it's imp- I just think it's important. Though. I think post the Spurs game, I think I don't know about you, but I just feel there's a bit of a loss of Wembley confidence. You know, I think that's something that we had. We were always good at Wembley. We've done well recently. We've managed to do you know not be beaten in nine games, whatever it is. But I just was so disappointed about the Spurs game and how yeah. we approached it. I don't know if it's and, Wembley, um, though. I, you know, I mean, look, th- that was a home game for them, although a quiet one by their standards. I, It yeah. was a league fixture, and I think there's, you're always going to approach 
a league fixture a little differently. I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be as worried about that as so much as the fact that we're coming up against one of the best sides in Europe right now in red hot form with the ability to rest their players ahead of that cup final uh, and yeah. a team that can press you and make you pay for turnovers. And we love to turn the ball over. Well, let's end on a low note then. Uh, Cause why not? I mean, when you look around and you see the gap between us and the top five ahead of us in the league, and then you watch Liverpool yeah. go win five, five nil and city win four, one and Spurs battle back to get a creditable two, two draw away at Juventus. Do, does this feel the furthest away from the top teams in England that, that you can remember us being? It's, it's a tough week emotionally, right? As an Arsenal fan, it's a tough week to keep perspective. It's a tough week to really look at what you have. I'm, we're trying to have a, a conversation with perspective tonight about what we've just seen. We're not judging what we've just seen. We're judging on what we've seen last week and what we could see going forward. And um, it's hard. Right, it is hard. I, I am a, I am somebody that always thinks there's something better around the corner. I think players come and go. I, I don't get hung up on players. I, I think there's so much talent out there. Some of the players that we are linked with, I never, I've never heard them before, and then suddenly they appear in uh, as a link to Arsenal. There's so much talent out there. For me, it's how we apply that talent and what we stand for and what we represent. I think. That's my concern. If we're still buying players that do certain specific jobs but don't do other jobs, I think we're going to get more of the same. We're going to we 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 look vulnerable. We look flaky. We look beatable. We don't have a fear factor. So if you're going to have players that do one thing very well, they better do it very well and then pay for it. Right? Don't go halfway. Don't have players that don't do their jobs but they're not the best at their primary job. If, so for me. It's about what what we're trying to sh- what we're trying to be, what we're trying to represent. What what does Arsenal represent from a playing identity perspective? Once you work that out, and we start to settle on a system or two, and develop players that are two-way, mobile, aggressive on the ball, aggressive with the ball, far more direct, far more pacey, far more energetic. When we start to see that, we'll all know it because we're not stupid. We'll see it. Speak for your damn self. And we'll, <laughs> we'll all we'll all see it and we'll all love it. At the moment, we have this team that has massive highs, can't sustain them for too long, and then it has massive lows. And um, and that's for me. That's down to chemistry, player type, and dare I say it, what the managers transmitting to the players. I feel as though the stage he is in his career. It feeds through to the players. If they had a hungry manager looking to achieve, I'm sure that would be replicated in the player staff. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I obviously, look, United and Chelsea didn't play this week, and they are arguably the the teams in the worst form right now, that top five group apart from us being sixth. Yeah. So, you know, it may look a little different next week if they've embarrassed themselves in Europe and – you know, we we obviously are are through to the next round in the Europa League, and maybe we get a, a cup final victory over City, and and things could look a little different. Look, I think what we'll do next pod is a, a Carabao Cup preview, most likely Carabao Cup final preview, maybe a little bit cool. about the second leg, but I I don't think there's going to be a whole hell of a lot to talk about. It is interesting though. I mean, watching Shaka not play tonight and Klosinac not play, and obviously Aubameyang can cannot play for us in the Europa League, so that doesn't really count. But just the way we're going to have to unwind some of the moves we've made, some of the big moves we've made over the past few summers, Shaka, Kolasinac, Mustafi, Lacazette. Would you say those are the impact we wanted them to have on our squad? Would you say those players have, have become the bedrock of the, the competitive arse? I mean, because that's right. That's what you do. You go into the market and you say, all right, we're not competing for the title. So we're going to make some moves that are going to point us in the direction an upward trajectory to where we can get back in the top four and compete for titles. And the acquisitions we've made, Mustafi, Shaka, Kolasinac, Lacazette, you know, and I'm not ruling Lacazette out yet, obviously. Hell, Lucas Perez to some extent. I mean, they have not pushed us in the direction of, of competing. And even worse, they don't look to any longer be the foundation of that, te- that team. You could argue, maybe with Mustafi and Shaka, that, that may be an open question, but you could argue that none of those players are really starting caliber for a competing Arsenal squad. So we're going to have to correct the, the mistakes, the sins of the past. And, you know, with Raul and, and Sven 
in place and maybe a change of manager, it could be a very different looking team. I think we moved in that direction, obviously, selling off players like Theo Walcott and Olivier Giroud and, and moving Alexis out. So the, the team is going through some reshaping, and I think there's yeah. still a lot more to happen. But this week, for me, was a signifier that, wow, you know, we, we are not close to the level of the top English clubs right now. Um, and that's a shame. So here's what I would say, Clive. We put out the best talent we had available to us, and we put forward yep. the the performance we needed. Um, maybe not the best performance, but the one we needed. I'm, By the way, I'm talking about the podcast, not the game. So, <laughs> you know, the talent was what we had at, at our disposal, and the performance was the best we could do. Look, there's probably seven of you listening. We're not going to break any listenership records. This This game is one that's best forgotten, except for the fact, oh, by the way, it's one of our best away defeats in Europe in years. So... There's always that. Clive, I, I certainly appreciate you turning up for this one. I know this was not a ton of fun to talk about, and there weren't a lot of things. We manufactured some topics, so I appreciate that. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you, my friend. I'm like the Monreal of the podcast, right? You just I show turn up, and up every in, night. Yeah, and you show up there you and you go. put in a shift. And, and I am like the Mustafi. I, I throw myself in there. I just throw myself in there again. And even if it doesn't work out, I just throw myself in there again. <laughs> and I will keep on throwing myself in there. And you can throw yourself uh, into my block list at Yankee Gunner on uh, Twitter. Give us a five-star review, even though this podcast most certainly does not deserve it, and then write nasty things about Tim and Paul, uh, whose absence led to this being something of an abomination. But still, it's a result. In any event, we will be back after uh, 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 Arsenal 10, Ostracoons nil. 